One, two, three, go! Y'all see, we practiced that. Boys is good. Our scripture this morning, my name is Aswan. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, Luke 5, Luke 5, verses 12 through 16. It will be on your screens to the right and to the left. The word of God reads, While Jesus went, was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The word of God. What's going on, y'all? My name is Jordan. Uh, I actually thought Aswan was going to freestyle a little bit right there. I'm a little disappointed, I won't lie. Hey, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and I am really excited to be with everybody uh, as we are starting off a brand new series called Encountering Jesus. Now, here's our hope for this entire series as we go through these passages of Luke, uh, that for a lot of you guys who are new to Christianity and you're new to the Bible, uh, we hope that you would encounter Jesus in a real uh, and fresh way. But for others, if you've been around Christianity for however long uh, and you've read through the Bible and you've heard a bunch of Christian stories uh, and you've been a Christian for some years, our hope is that this series would reawaken and reignite uh, you in in a way to give you a fresh encounter with God. Now, it's really important that we have a good understanding of who Jesus is uh, so that we can get a good understanding of who God is. Because the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, says it like this, uh, what comes into your minds when we think, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What do you think about when I just say the word God? What comes into your mind? What image is in your mind when you think about God? Now, when I first became a Christian, uh, the first thing and probably the only thing I thought about was judgment. Uh, I was going to a church, and like the only book I had read at that point of the Bible was Revelations. (laughs) That is not a good recipe for success. So the only thing I thought about when I thought about God was judgment. I was terrified. I was walking past a tattoo parlor once, and they had a dragon, and I didn't even want to walk across. I didn't want to walk in front of the tattoo parlor. I'm like, that's going to burn down. I don't want to be there when the lightning bolt strikes. And because all I thought about when I thought about God was judgment, um, that shaped who I was. And it actually became a central part of what I was becoming. Uh, So unsurprisingly, uh, and I have friends here from college, they'll tell you the real story on the outside. Um, I was the most judgmental person in the world. I would memorize scripture after scripture just so I can correct people. 
I'd be like, actually, that was Luke 5, not Luke 6, sweetheart. Learn your Bible if you love Jesus. And I was super judgmental because all I thought about, my image of God was that God was waiting behind every single bush, waiting to catch me doing something. So I was actually separating myself from everyone and everything that I thought could get me caught. And I ran away as far as I could from uh, anything and everything that I was um, attached to before because I was terrified. Now, there's a good place in your heart and your walk with Jesus for good, reverent fear, uh, but there's no place uh, in the heart of a Christian for terror and to be constantly walking around on eggshells terrified that God is, is having it after you. Now, our hope in this series is that we would replace whatever images that are in our head right now with images that we see of God in Scripture. Uh, and it's really important that we take a look at the life of Jesus because, uh, as Paul says it in Colossians um, 1 and 15, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So if you want to get a good look, if you want to get a really good picture of what God is like, Scripture says you should look at Jesus. Don't look at what um, the articles you may have read about Jesus. Don't look about uh, the thoughts you have in your mind or whatever conception that people have around you about what God is like. If you want to get a really good understanding of what God is like, you should take a look at Jesus. So we're doing this series called Encountering Jesus, and we're looking at times where Jesus uh, encountered someone, and we're saying, Jesus, how did you actually react to people? Now, here's what our goal is in this series, and today's for sure, um, that if you and I are to grow as Christians, we grow understanding who God is, and the more we understand um, who Jesus Christ is, the more we will understand the true nature of what God is really like. So when we ask that question, what do you think about? Uh, when you think about God, it would be replaced with the stories and the encounters that we're going to see today and for the rest of the series. So the true encounter of who God is, what he has done, and who you and I are as a result, and more importantly, uh, what it looks like to, to live in him and to follow Jesus. Now, I want to say this again, if, and if this is really great for people who are new to church, new to Christianity, you don't know where you fall yet, uh, before you discard Christianity or before you pass your judgment on whether or not this is something that is good to you, uh, I, I would really hope that you stick around for a couple of these messages uh, and to really look at what is the true nature of Jesus. What is God all about? And we're going to see that. Now, Aswan has read a scripture today uh, about a man and a, a, a man who was a leper, uh, and it's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. If you've been to church a couple times, you've probably heard it before, uh, Jesus and uh, a leper. And this story, even from the outset, you might not think it has a whole lot to do with your life, uh, with the exception of the hypochondriacs in the room who, when you hear about leprosy, you're like, yo, I did have that scratch on my arm. I might mess around and have it. Uh, this story is about much more than a skin condition or a disease. Uh, it gives us a window of who we are, and it gives us a picture of who God is, even more importantly. Now, leprosy was a terrible disease for a number of reasons. Uh, some of these reasons were, were physical, and some of these reasons were social. Uh, actually, I debated about even showing you guys a picture of what a person with leprosy would look like, just because the images are, are actually so ugly, so deformed, 
But I felt like for the integrity of the message, um, in order for you to really get how bad leprosy is, uh, you would have to see what a really deformed individual looks like, and it looks like uh, Tom Brady. <laughs> deformed, <laughs> ugly, hard to look at. Turn away, avert your eyes, avert your eyes. Hey, for the Patriots fans, you got the Super Bowl, the comeback of the century, so you can enjoy, you can enjoy that. Uh, but in, in all honesty, uh, leprosy was a pretty uh, terrible disease. Um, it really did uh, deform you. It really did mutilate your body. Uh, and even more importantly than what it did to you physically, uh, some of the most painful things were actually the social effects of what happened. Uh, last year, I got that stomach bug that was going around. Anybody else got that, right? And you felt like you were going to die just from that 24-hour stomach bug. Uh, and the worst thing about it, for me at least as an extrovert, was nobody wanted to be near me. My own wife didn't want to be near me, which is more common than, than that, actually. Uh, but nobody wanted to be around you, and leprosy was that times about a thousand. Uh, as Scripture talks about it, uh, if, you had to, if you were a leper, you were kicked out of society, and to get leprosy wasn't just you were sick. It means that it cuts you off from everything you knew, and it cuts you off from everything you loved. Now, Scripture, by the time it arrives at Luke 5 and 12, it doesn't give us any description on this man, what his life was like before that. Uh, but it's interesting to note that leprosy doesn't have a type of person that it would have hit. It didn't only reach one demographic or another. Uh, leprosy was indiscriminating. It would hit anybody in any socioeconomic status, uh, and it was something that nobody was impervious to. Now, I like to imagine uh, what life this guy would have had before we see him in the scripture. And if you'll allow me a little creative license, I would just want to tell him how I understand this guy's story leading up to this point. Uh, I like to imagine that this guy had a regular name just like anybody else. We'll call him Steve. And Steve was a baker, right? And his dad was a baker. His granddad was a baker. It was a family business. And one day, he goes to work, and he kisses his wife goodbye, uh, he sees his two kids playing around, um, and he's just excited that for his family. He goes to work, and he burns his finger. And he's like, wow, man, like, that's really weird. Um, my finger doesn't even hurt. So he goes home, and he's eating dinner with his wife. They're catching up on the day, and his wife is saying, hey, how was your day? How were things? He says, it was good, but yeah, I burned my finger. She's like, oh, you know, let me get you something for it. He says, no, don't worry about it. It doesn't even hurt. Now, as soon as he says that, his wife gets nervous because she remembers what her cousin went through before he was diagnosed with leprosy. That the first thing that happened with him was he started to lose feeling in one of his fingers, that the feeling had started to go away. So the mother shoes the kids in the other room and says, hey, kids, go play in the other room. She whips out the lantern and says, hey, quick, take your shirt off. I want to look, look at your arms. And as she's going down his arms, she sees a spot. Terrified, uh, he starts to cry, and he knows what could happen to him. So the next day, the next morning, uh, he goes to the priest, and he has the priest examine him, and the priest looks at him up and down and says, hey, you, you got leprosy. And immediately, he doesn't get a chance to go home and give his kids a hug and a kiss goodbye. He knows that his dreams of walking his daughter down the aisle are done, 
uh, his dreams of growing old with his wife, finished. His dreams of supporting his family through the bakery are done. And he's wondering, how is my family going to take care of itself uh, without me in the picture? And as a priest pronounces him unclean, he tells him that he has to leave the village. He can't go to temple. He can't uh, be around his family and friends. He has to leave. Leviticus uh, 13 uh, talks about what happens to a person when they get leprosy. It says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. And here's the worst part. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. And this man leaves his family. He leaves his business. Now, as a leper, there's only two ways for you to survive. Uh, The first way is if your family was really wealthy, they could uh, come to the gate of the leper community and drop off food and supplies, and you just have to hope that other people don't steal it before you get it. And the second way that lepers would support themselves and eat is for a very small window of time, they would be allowed to come into the community just to beg, just to beg. They weren't allowed to sit down and relax and, and come with their family, eat dinner. They were allowed to come in just to beg and then get their stuff and leave again. So it's very likely that when he meets Jesus here in Luke 5 and 12, he had been let into the city just so that he can beg for food. And the story starts there in Luke 5 and 12, um, and it gives us a really great picture of who God is. Listen, what do you think about when you think about God? What is God like? What is God really like? How does God treat people? Who does God welcome in? We see this so clearly in the scripture. Luke 5 and 12, it says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, when he comes to Jesus, he doesn't demand that Jesus does anything. He simply has a request. He says, Lord, if you are willing, if you're willing, here's what I love so much about that part. Uh, this man very likely had come into uh, contact with so many people that weren't willing to touch him, that weren't willing to be near him. And his question to Jesus wasn't of power, whether or not he can do it, but it was of access. Am I even allowed to be near you? Now, Scripture says this man was covered in leprosy, so it wasn't like he just woke up one morning uh, like this. Leprosy is a very slow-progressing disease, so chances are for years and years and potentially decades, this man had gone without contact. This man had gone without people wanting to be anywhere near him, but now he's at the foot of Jesus. Now he's at the foot of the image of the invisible God. And his question is, Lord, are you willing? Are you willing to touch someone who was completely covered uh, in leprosy, in filth, in disease, in sickness? Are you willing? Now, as I've said before, uh, the more we get to know about Jesus Christ, the more we will understand who the true God is, what he has done, who we are as a result, and what it means to live in him and live for him. Now, like I said earlier, nobody in this room uh, has leprosy. Uh, And uh, leprosy, this story is about so much more than Jesus healing someone. It's about uh, you and me, actually. Because in so many ways, all throughout Scripture, Uh, you see leprosy as basically a a physical representation of a spiritual condition that you and I have. 
Leprosy is a spiritual, is a physical representation of a physical condition that you and I have. Now, this part might hit a little heavy for you, especially if you're new to church. Uh, this word carries around so much baggage and so much connotation, and I hope you'll allow, you'll give me the benefit of the doubt for the next couple of minutes. Um, but scripture says that you and I have something that we're covered with, uh, and it's called sin. Now, how are we to deal with what goes on inside of us? How are we to deal with the sin that's in our lives? Now, a lot of people like to think that, well, I'm not a sinner. That's a heavy word. That's not on me. I haven't killed anybody. I make mistakes here and there. Listen, what we do is much bigger than mistakes. I've said this before, but a mistake is calling Malachi Malachi. That's a mistake. (laughs) But what you and I do on a regular is not that. What we do is much more ingrained, it's much deeper, it's much more real to us. It's something that we wish we, we didn't do nearly as much, uh, but it's called sin. And, and leprosy here is this physical representation of our spiritual condition. And listen, I don't want us to um, push against this and miss out on the beauty of who God is in this scripture. Uh, so here's a couple of effects of sin in our lives that function a whole lot like leprosy. The first one is that sin for me and you starts from the inside out. Now, a lot of us like to think that it's outside situations and it's people in our lives who press our buttons in a certain way uh, that cause us to act in one way or another. But Jesus has a much different uh, version on why you and I do things. Uh, He says it in Luke 6 and 45. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You guys get that? The mouth speaks what our hearts are full of. So that comment, that gossip, that insult, your heart is full of that. The only reason it came out is because our hearts are full of it. Now, leprosy in so many ways started, it didn't start as a skin disease. Uh, It starts from contracting uh, the bacteria, and then eventually, sometimes it takes years and years and years and years Um, but eventually it works itself from the inside out. And there are things that you and I have done, things that have been done to us, that will incubate inside of us for years and years and years, Uh, things that are buried deeply inside, but eventually they will come out. And that's the nature of sin. It doesn't start from the outside in. It starts from the inside out. Now, not only does it start from the inside out, just like leprosy, uh, but it cuts us off uh, from relationships with God and with people. I mentioned it earlier, but probably the most uh, saddening part of leprosy was that it, uh, it literally cut families apart, and it separated people um, from their families, from their loved ones, and that's what sin does. How many families have had decade-long arguments about whether or not you put egg in your potato salad? Nobody does, because you're supposed to put egg in your potato salad, no. Usually what happens is something happens in a family, and there's sin. Someone offends someone. Someone does something harmful to someone. They steal money. They argue. Somebody does something petty after grandma died, and then there's a rift. There's a sin that separates us from people. And maybe for the last several decades, you've been hoping that things would repair, but there's still a separation because that's what sin does. It separates. All of us in this room have had a friendship in the past or relationship of some sort, where everything was going great. 
The relationship was going smooth. The friendship was, was, was great. We were, um, we were really rocking together. And then somebody did something. And now you're no longer friends. Now you're no longer in a relationship with them because sin, by its very nature, separates us. Not just from other people, but it separates us from God. And my suspicion is that it separates us from God because we love to hide. We, we love to hide. It's our, our earliest ancestors, Adam and Eve, uh, when it says after they had eaten the forbidden fruit, the first thing they did was they ran away and they hid. It says it in Genesis 3, 8 and 9. It says the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? See, this is what makes community so hard uh, because you and I, we don't want people to really know what's going on in our lives. Uh, our natural tendency is to hide. Our natural tendency is to not show people what we really have going on on the inside, especially if it's stuff that's ugly and you've been dealing with it for a long time. Especially if we're talking about addictions and all other stuff, you definitely don't want people to know that stuff. And sin, just like leprosy, our natural tendency is to hide. Now, uh, early on in the church, uh, I didn't know this as well, but I, I know it now. I would see people who would disappear for months uh, at a time, and at first I thought it was just that they didn't like Aswan, and I was like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> um, but uh, later I've come to see that for some people, certainly not all, um, there's something going on in their lives. And they felt that since this was going on in their lives, since it's their life, this was their lifestyle, their, their situation, they couldn't come to church. Uh, or they felt something inside of them that made them want to hide. And this is true for me in my own prayer life. Uh, whenever I'm not doing things the way I know I'm supposed to be doing it, and I'm like, yo, I'm a pastor. I'm getting paid to, like, pray. How am I, like, how am I watching Sports Center in the morning and being lazy? And this is my job. Like, this is why... I exist, uh, what I do for a living, and I normally notice that I don't pray as much. I feel guilty. I don't pray as much because I feel like I can't come to God, and my natural, my natural inclination is to want to run away from God and from community, and Scripture says that's uh, how most of us, if not all of us, operate. Now, this one is probably my favorite, and this one hits a little harder, um, but sin, just like leprosy, uh, numbs us, and the more it progresses, the more numb you get. Now, one of the most horrible things about if you were to do a Google Images search and see what happens to leprosy, a lot of people would be losing fingers and toes and sometimes their noses and their lips. Uh, and it would, at first, people thought that leprosy caused your fingers to fall off or it caused your toes to fall off or it caused your nose to fall off. Uh, but later, scientists found what happened was the more leprosy grew inside of you, the more numb you got. And people would hurt, break their finger, for example, um, or they would uh, uh, burn their hand, and they would just go about it like everything was normal because they couldn't feel anything, and eventually that finger would fall off. Eventually, that, their foot or something would, would fall off because they would break it, and it would just become infected, and it would just need to come off. Now, the more leprosy progressed, the more, the more and more numb it got. And I know this to be true uh, about sin in our lives. The more we do something, the more numb we get to it. The first time you got hungover, man, I'm never going to do that again. The 87th time you got hungover, it just is what it is. <laughs> Blame it, yeah. Blame it on Patron. 
Um, the, in all seriousness, the first time we were too, uh, too stingy with our money or too generous with our bodies, it hurt. You felt the repercussions. But eventually, it doesn't even affect us anymore. And we think sometimes that the, the scale of morality has somehow shifted, that maybe it's not that bad because I don't feel its effects anymore, and that's just the nature of sin. The more you do it, the more numb you get to it. Hebrews says it like this. Um, today, it um, says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Scripture says that sin is, it hardens us. It makes us impenetrable to even feeling God move in our lives sometimes. Uh, I, I love this story um, about my grandmother. Uh, my dad's mother grew up uh, a sharecropper in Tennessee. And um, one of the things that she used to pick was, was cotton. And I don't know if you've ever seen a real live cotton plant, but it's, it's very thorny. It has a lot of thorns. And basically, if you touch it, it will make your hands bleed. But the more you touch it over and over again, basically your hands develop scars and calluses to the point to where it doesn't even bother you anymore. And I remember my grandmother would come over and she would uh, fix shirts or she would sew something. And I remember one time watching her sew and she wasn't even using a thimble. And I had taken home economics. I'm like, yo, I, that's rule number one. Put something on your hand. Um, and she could sew. Her, her thumb had become so callous from the years and years and years of manual labor and picking cotton uh, that she can put a needle in her finger and it wouldn't even penetrate. Now, sin has that ability to harden us, that even the sharp word of God that we hear, we read, it won't even penetrate us. Now, this is why community is so important. This is why community is so important that people know you, they know what's really going on inside of your life, because the more you get wrapped up in something, the less you feel it. And you need people that can speak into your life, that know what's really going on with you, that can help you, that can guide you. This is why we need guardrails, things that protect us from going down uh, an endless spiraling staircase. Because the more we do something, the more numb we get. And we see that effect so often in our lives. Now, the last thing that's really powerful about leprosy uh, is that you cannot get rid of it on, its own, on your own. There is no diet modification. Uh, you can't do some smoothies and get rid of, uh, of leprosy. Uh, doing more exercise or uh, getting more sleep would not expel leprosy on its own, and sin is the same way. You and I cannot conquer the power or the penalty of sin on our own power. Uh, we need something that comes from the outside of us that can get on the inside of us to expel uh, what we call sin. And this is where we get to the beauty um, of who Jesus is and why I wouldn't want us trying to justify ourselves and say, hey, I'm not that bad, but that in seeing our sin, we can finally see the lengths to which God loves us, uh, the lengths to which uh, God came to us in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus came to save us both from the penalty and the power of sin in our lives, uh, and it's, we'd be lying to ourselves if we think we can uh, do it any other way. But in seeing this, we see the amazing nature of God's grace. Now, this is what Jesus says about himself in Mark 10 and 45. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to, to uh, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
This is why Jesus came, to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you've ever seen uh, the movie Ransom with Mel Gibson, here's an image I always think of when I hear the word ransom. I think of somebody that's locked in, in, in chains away in a basement, uh, incapable of escaping on their own, and then something is given in exchange for that person's freedom. And then they can walk out just as if they had paid it on their own. Now, theologians call this the great exchange, where Jesus took our sin and we get his righteousness, and we are justified in the sight of God. And it is not you changing your habits a little bit better. It is not you reading another self-help book, although it might help you kick a bad habit or two. Uh, The true fundamental nature of sin in our lives require that we go to Jesus with all of ourselves, uh, not hiding any piece of ourselves, knowing that this is how Jesus would answer the question, Lord, I've done this, 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 and this. My list is long. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And here's Jesus' answer to you. Here's Jesus' answer to me, and this is why they call the gospel the good news. Not the good advice, but the good news. I am willing. I am willing. Now, leprosy was the untouchable of untouchable diseases. And for Jesus to interact with this man, let alone have a conversation with this man, would have been shocking to everybody else. But this is what Scripture is showing us about the lavish, ridiculous uh, grace that God gives and offers to people. So the question is, if we were to go back to our opening question, what is God like? What image comes into your mind when you think about God? God is incredibly gracious. If Jesus is the visible image of the, vis- the invisible God, then what is God like? Man, God is gracious. And we see this here in such amazing ways. Now, I love... Um, how the story continues in Luke 5, and one thing that's really interesting about the Scripture. Now, all through the Gospels, uh, and even later in this chapter, if you go home and read Luke 5, a lot of times when Jesus healed somebody, all he did was just say it. Later in Luke 5, there's a man that's paralyzed. His friends lower him through the roof. Jesus says, son, pick up your mat and go. The man instantly gets uh, gets up and starts walking, and everybody marvels. Jesus didn't need to touch his legs for his legs to regain strength and for him to be healed. So why then does Jesus here in Luke 5, uh, earlier in the chapter, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, I think it's in part to show us what the gospel is really like. So that you and I would not ever have to feel like we had to hide or to feel like because what we have done or because what has been done to us has left us untouchable. What does this mean? There is no person, there is no situation, there is no sin, there is no issue that is beyond the loving, touching, gracious hands of Jesus, our Savior. Now, Jesus um, shows us that his grace is reckless. And until, until grace feels a little reckless, you don't understand what grace is. Now, this is a grace um, that doesn't um, uh, leave us as we are. Uh, grace never enters into our life and just leaves us exactly like we were. Grace certainly calls us higher. Grace calls us to obedience and all these different things. But make no mistake about it. A lot of people think that in order for you and God to be good, in order for you and God to be Gucci, what you have to do is you have to do your self-improvement plan for the next six to nine months. 
And once you have checked off every box and you've made yourself really good for a certain period of time, then finally you can come to God and God would accept you. And if that's your understanding of God, you're going to be on a treadmill um, that is on a road to nowhere. This is what we see in the story. God accepts us exactly as we are, and God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because we're never as we should be. And this is the reckless grace that we see um, of Jesus, the grace that we see in Romans 5 and 6 that says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. While we was, get that, listen, listen to that. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. And, that, and that's the message of the gospel that we see. Now, if this is true, if this is, how, if this is uh, what God is really like, then how should you and I respond to him? How should you and I respond to him? Uh, I think the first one is with honesty. Uh, there's no reason for you to try to have to cover up and uh, uh, self-justify yourself and uh, pretend as if you are all put together when in reality you are not. If it's true that Jesus would welcome in the leper, that also is good news for us. Jesus will welcome in us. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to um, uh, put on a face. You don't have to hide. Uh, God accepts us exactly as we are. And I can say that again for the next 20 weeks straight, and I don't think I would even get it myself. God accepts us, and we, don't have, and we can be honest with God. We can be honest about our struggles. We can come to Jesus with all honesty and saying, look, we don't have to hide the spots. We don't have to hide that our body is covered in, 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 in leprosy. We don't have to hide any of that. Jesus accepts us. The second thing we can do is we can come to God with boldness. Now, uh, this is certainly true for a lot of people, and myself certainly, if, with our prayer lives, um, we don't really pray, especially if we're feeling dirty or filthy, because we feel like we can't come to Jesus. But if it's true that Jesus Christ has come and he has taken away the sins of the world, he has taken away our sins, separating it as far as the east is from the west, then you and I can approach the throne of grace with boldness, as it says in Hebrews and 4, and we can find grace in the time that we need mercy. No more sheepish prayers. God, if, I mean, yeah, I hope you don't. No, listen. Jesus has purchased, he has purchased the salvation for the Christian, and you and I don't have to come to, uh, to, to Jesus um, with um, total uh, um, terror about who God is. But if we have placed our faith in Jesus, you and I are just as if I have lived like Jesus. We are made clean in him. And thirdly, if it's true, this is how God is, um, I think it should produce reverence in us. Now, one of the biggest litmus tests for how someone understands Christianity to me is whether or not the message of the gospel crushes them and, and, and makes them feel uh, like they have to justify themselves and they have to do more things, or if it's reverence. Uh, Brennan Manning has one of my favorite quotes that I've read it a thousand times, and every time I read it, uh, it still breaks me down. He says, I could more easily contain Niagara Falls in a teacup then I can comprehend the wild and uncontainable love of God. I can more easily contain Niagara Falls in a little teacup than I can comprehend the wild, uncontainable love of God. And this is what we see with the story of Jesus and the leper, that this man was so far off base, so far past being touchable, that Jesus not only heals him, but he touches him, he embraces him, he brings him in. And the last one is gratitude. Um, the gospel is the good news, not the good advice. 
And one of the hallmarks of our understanding of Christian, the Christian faith is whether or not we are living a life of gratitude and how that uh, plays itself out in the way we treat other people, uh, in the way we respond to ourselves. Um, uh, you can tell someone who has no idea what the gospel is when they are the most hard-hearted person against other people because they're not grateful for anything God has done in their lives. So, of course, when you mess up, they're going to cut you down. They would never want to share their faith because all they're thinking is, faith is just another list of things I got to do, not something that I'm really grateful for. But listen, correctly understood, the gospel produces gratitude in our hearts that changes our lives in almost every single way. Now, in just a minute, we're going to sing a song together, and I hope that what you feel in, as we sing the song is boldness and honesty and reverence and gratitude. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, help us to get uh, who you are. Father, you know everybody under the sound of my voice. You know where we're coming from. You know what we're uh, afraid of. You know what we're believing. You know what we're not believing. You know the things that, um, all the things that are going on in our hearts and our minds. God, I pray that when we think about you, what you are like, we will see you and the leper. And we will see that you uh, have reckless grace for people who are covered in filth. And we don't need to hide. We can come to you because you are willing. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.